The story of the church begins with two words, follow me. Jesus is out walking by the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he sees two brothers at work casting nets into the water. Follow me, he says, and they drop their nets and follow. He sees a couple more fishermen down the way and he calls out to them as well. Follow me, he says, and they do. It keeps on going like this. As Jesus begins his ministry, healing and teaching and sharing tables with all sorts of people, he says to one after another, follow me. These followers of Jesus, these disciples, didn't have this all worked out in their daily planners ahead of time. I'm pretty sure Thaddeus did not have seek out radical traveling rabbi, leave home and never come back, written down in his annual list of New Year's resolutions. No, he was going about his business, and one day this strange teacher crossed his path. Jesus looked him in the eye and said, follow me, and maybe before he even knew what he was doing or why, he was. That's how it happened, the Gospels tell us, one calling after another, and lo and behold, a group formed. Some of them might have known one another beforehand. I'm sort of guessing that since Simon and Andrew and James and John were all fishing this same stretch of shoreline, they were probably well acquainted already. But did they all know Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas before Jesus called those guys to follow? Probably not. We have no reason to believe that this group of 12 disciples would have found or chosen one another on their own. I mean, sure, maybe these two sets of brothers were great pals and liked to go to the pub after a day's work. Or maybe they absolutely detested each other and were locked in a years-long fishing rivalry. Maybe they all thought Matthew was a good guy with a great sense of humor. Or maybe they were all deeply suspicious of him since before joining their little band, he had been a tax collector, squeezing money from his neighbors to pay the Roman occupiers. We cannot miss that this is how the church started. It didn't begin like so many other groups do, with a bunch of like-minded individuals getting together over dinner and coming up with a great plan together, or with a hiring committee and a position description and several rounds of interviews to find the best possible candidates. No, it began with the words, follow me, spoken to one person after another, creating a group around Jesus that would not have formed otherwise. It sounds beautiful, and it is. But if you think it's easy, well, just ask the folks in Corinth. We read the start of Paul's first letter to the church in this city last week. It's a lovely beginning reminding the members of the community that they are sanctified, set apart for God's work, that they are blessed by God's grace, that they are abundantly gifted in every way, lacking in no spiritual gift. You have everything that you need, Paul told them. And he also hinted that at the same time, they weren't quite done yet. You are called to be saints, he said. You are called to live more fully into the grace given to you. There's more to discover more to learn, and it doesn't take long for us to encounter some of the learning that the Corinthians have to do. It's been reported to me that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters, 
Paul says at the start of our reading today. That's a polite way of putting it. If you keep reading this letter, you will discover layer upon layer of fights and divisions in this community. They're arguing about food and clothing and sexual morality. They're arguing about spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. They're arguing about worship and the resurrection itself. Yes, there are quarrels among the members of this little church, and Paul starts by addressing one that seems to have been particularly thorny for them, concerned with leadership. Some years before this letter was written, Paul had started the church in Corinth, and then he'd moved on to other places. In his absence, other leaders came and went, among them a charismatic and eloquent teacher named Apollos. All of that's fine, though it seems people have, in the years since, attached outsized importance to these various personalities, forming groups based on which one they liked best. It's entirely possible these groups were really about more than just a favorite leader. Perhaps sort of the more educated and cultured preferred Apollos, who was likely trained in classical rhetoric, while others might have preferred Paul's more humble presentation. It might be that the groups were dividing along familiar lines of social status and class. Whatever is really behind the factions, they seem to be tearing the community apart. So what is Paul's solution? Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that you all be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but you all be united in the same mind and purpose. So there you go. Just be of one mind and purpose. Problem solved, right? It's clear that Paul was not a parent because every parent knows that in the history of the world, no fight has ever been settled by telling a bunch of feuding kids, just stop fighting and agree about everything. Paul's words there sound a little bit thin on their own, I think. In fact, to find his real solution to the trouble in Corinth, I think you have to back up a bit to where we were last Sunday, to the greeting for the letter, where Paul said this, God is faithful. By him, you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. By God, you were called together. Remember? It's like those disciples back on the shore leaving their nets. This wasn't their idea. This wasn't their club to form however they wanted to. This wasn't just another reflection of the culture around them. No, this was Jesus's idea. Jesus called these people, and that's why they're here. That's the reason for this gathering. That is what holds you together. Early in his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes just this point about Christian community. I am a brother to another person through what Christ did for me and to me, he writes. The other person has become a sister to me through what Christ did for her. This fact that we are brothers and sisters only through Jesus Christ is of immeasurable significance. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. Many of us read this book a couple of months ago and lots of us struggled a bit with this idea. Really, we wanted to say? That's all that determines our community? Shouldn't there be something else to it 
something about finding our true belonging with others who share our passions, our commitments, our core beliefs, our favorite style of worship. I mean, that's how most groups are created, after all. We're accustomed to finding other things to bind us together. Common hobbies, common interests, common political affiliations, common backgrounds. We know how to do that. It's the most natural thing in the world. But Bonhoeffer understood the dangers of that approach when it comes to church. Because if church is just one more club where I look for people like me, if it's just one more place where I am bound to people based on my personal preferences, then it is only a short step to it becoming a place for exclusion rather than inclusion, for furthering prejudice rather than understanding, for hardening divisions rather than breaking them down. He insisted it was the calling of Christ that invites us and brings us together, what Christ has done for you and for me. In that way, he sounds an awful lot like Paul to me. I mean, an outside consultant might have looked at this bizarre gathering in Corinth, rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, male and female, this gathering that nobody in his right mind would have come up with at this time and said, well, you know what? There is an easy fix here. Form one church for the wealthy former pagans and another church for the destitute former pagans. Put them in different parts of town because you know they don't really get along. And then form another church for the Jewish believers who prefer a more intellectual approach to faith and another one for those who like one that's more down to earth. You'll have lots more success if you split this congregation up into four, five, maybe six different communities. It is just too messy with all these groups together. That would have been easier, but it wouldn't have been church as Paul understood it. His word to the folks in Corinth was not to split along all those familiar old lines that they knew so well, but to dig deeper into what Christ had done for them, to root more deeply in the work of Christ that brought them together in the first place. Look at that neighbor you can't understand or the one who is driving you crazy. And remember that Christ called out to them just as Christ called out to you. God is faithful. By him, you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is what's at the center, Paul seems to say. That's what can make a new community that transcends your divisions that's bigger than your disagreements. That is what can lead you to a common mind and purpose where what unites you is bigger than what divides. It's not easy. This is work that takes time and commitment and patience and practice, but it is the work of the church. And while he doesn't say it right here, he will go on throughout the letter to argue that the community Christ gathers one nobody in her right mind would have dreamed up is actually a profound gift because this community that Christ gathers is wonderful precisely in its strangeness, precisely in its variety. Here we meet people who are not like us, who stretch our understanding. Here we meet people who've had their own encounters with Jesus to share, who challenge our limited ways of thinking. Here we meet people whose experience is different from ours, who show us something of the wideness of God's mercy. Here we find there is always more to learn 
when it comes to God. You did not choose me, but I chose you, Jesus will say to his disciples in the Gospel of John. That's right. It was true for his first followers by the lakeshore. It was true for the motley gathering in Corinth. It's true for our community here in the Old Town. We are not given the group any of us would have come up with on our own. We're given something so much richer, so much more interesting, so much better. We are given the group that Jesus calls together, where there's always room for more. And for that, we give thanks. Amen.